an article uh, written by by a female first and last author would on average uh, sort of look like to use these words 10% less often uh, than than uh, articles written by by first and last authors where at least one one man is involved as editors we feel like we spend a lot of time taking the superlatives out of articles. Amazing, novel, important. But new research on bmj.com suggests that we might not be doing a great job of that, and that for some reason, papers authored by men tend to have more of them. Because men put them in, perhaps, or maybe there's a bias against women writing that way. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ. And to explain more, I'm joined by Mark Lerchenmuller, assistant professor at the University of Mannheim and one of the authors of that article. So why was it you decided to have a look at this? It seems like a, an interesting take um, on on those gender differences. Right. Um, so I think we, um, you know, I got I got curious in, in, in this topic of whether uh, men and women might might present work differently, um, you know, really based on on a very on, on a very personal tale. Uh, so my wife is a physician scientist, uh, and you know when 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 she uh, reads papers, and I and I used to sit you know uh, with her uh, almost at the dinner table. You can picture this, and she would say, "Well, I, I read this in the study, and I'm not quite sure if I if I fully you know believe the." sort of the claims that are made based based on the overall paper and um and so then these conversations continue to develop because my background is is different so i'm not you know i'm not the life scientist but i i'm more the economist by training and there there was um you know there is there is a literature actually a little bit more in in in, in the discipline of sociology um there is this presumption that 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 women sort of conduct themselves in a, in a more communal and less forceful way and so, you know, connect, connecting these two observations of, you know, some studies might use language that might not fully be corroborated by what is then in the full paper, uh, particularly when the language is used in the abstracts to showcase the findings. Um, then combining this with, with, with this notion of, you know, men and women might differ in the way they, they position their accomplishments. Uh, this, this sort of leads into this question of, can we, you know, can we trace? Is are there differences to begin with, um, and and if so, uh, you know, are these differences material? Do they do they lead to tangible tangible outcomes for individuals uh, when they when they present their findings in different ways? And um, I guess that that was sort of the motivation for uh, for starting the study. And it seems like a good one. And you've gone into this a little bit, but um, why did you decide? to use scientific papers because you know as i said they are a bit more formulaic they go through a process where you know here at the bmj we we spend a long time trying to moderate the language of people who um are publishing with us and making sure that you know their language does reflect the the science um and whereas, you know, if you looked at maybe social media or blogs the the effect might be more apparent so why was it you decided um you know, uh, to look at uh, PubMed data, right? So I, I think um, this is this is actually part of what makes you know, in, in my sort of personal opinion, what makes this 
this piece of research a, a very interesting one. So we we when we started with 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 this idea of one could look at this, then we uh, you know ran into a couple of sort of thought experiments on how well we might be able to really trace these gender differences in language use. And so one immediately runs into alternative explanations uh, for even if you were to find these gender differences, where they might originate from. So one one um, thought that we that we ran into immediately was, well, <clears throat> let's suppose for for whatever reason, uh, men tend to work in in less established fields of research, you know, more more novel fields of research um, than well the language they are using to describe findings in terms of, you know, I have a novel finding, this is an unprecedented finding, um, might might be justified just based on differences in the work that is being done. Uh, and so e even though, you know, one might not sort of concur with the notion that, you know, men might systematically work in different fields than women, it's still a challenge to establish to establish a claim. Um, to basically differentiate just differences in language use from differences in the underlying work. And so this, this sort of puzzle led us, to, led us to this idea of if we were to look at scientific publications at PubMed with the richness of the data that is there, and importantly, sort of very well-defined boundaries for comparing research, we might be able to get to a much cleaner effect estimate. Uh, so you know, to to give you a sense for for this, you know, we are we are attempting, and I think we 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 do a relatively compelling job by comparing research that's published within the same journal, uh, within the same year, and within similar fields of research in terms of how well the field and the research within the field that is conducted lends itself or might lend itself to. Um, to positive language use. So we are essentially trying to compare apples to apples of very similar research um, in order to, to get to a cleaner, to a cleaner um, uh, effect on you know, what, what the gender difference might produce here versus what you know, differences in the work might contribute. Mm, that makes sense. And um, the other thing about scientific data is we tend to, uh, you know, as we're editing, maybe strip out some superlatives and things so you know the the kind of language that is used um in pubmed might differ from uh you know other other domains so how did you decide on on what counted as you know positive language yeah i guess so the the, the first observation uh, in, in in response to um you know to how you rightfully sort of portray scientific research that's recorded in pubmed is you know, one might even suspect that, you know, in, in journals of, of a certain quality, um, you know, the review process will, will sort of weed out some of these superlatives in language. Interestingly, you know, in this study, it was something that we actually did not suspect when we started out. Uh, we actually find that uh, the gender difference in language use are most pronounced in the, in the journals with, with an impact factor exceeding 10. So if you will... In more influential journals, the gender difference in language use is larger, um, and so this is this is first of all I think an an, an interesting um, 
sort of observation against sort of this common notion that 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 we that we all hold or most of us hold in terms of how you know sci scientific work is you know curated through the editorial process and and the language is being opined upon how did you choose what kind of um what kind of words counted as being positive language was that kind of established um verified sort of data set that that you use there right so we we um actually built on on uh, a previous study that was uh, also published in the bmj uh, in a former christmas issue where um a group of scientists looked at um you know the general a uh, general evolution of of language use they looked at um, how the use of positive words changed over time. They used that, and they compared this to how you know the use of negative words changed over time, for example. And um, so they identified um, a set of twenty-five positive words, um, distinctively positive words like novel, unprecedented, excellent, unique. Um, just to give a couple of examples, um, and we we build on this research. So we took we took these these twenty-five words. And started with them and looked at you know whether they occur in um, a title or abstract of a scientific publication. So the other thing about scientific papers that might differ quite a lot from from other mediums is the number of authors that a, a paper can have. So what did that add to the mix when it came to to you trying to to puzzle this out? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think um, this this was uh, a core a core motivation for us to look to the PubMed database. Um, so PubMed is is sort of the standard database, if you will, for the life sciences. You know, there are other alternatives um, like the Scopus database or the Web of Science, which sort of index um, you know broader broader fields of research. <clears throat> but the importance here in in the life sciences, <clears throat> you know. There might also be sort of a counterintuitive notion because especially in the life sciences, we have evidence that the research has become a team sport, so to speak. Uh, so many, many uh, authors, as you said, are, are now joining forces to write papers, um, you know, partly because uh, knowledge becomes more specialized and there, there needs to be a division of labor in order to compete successfully for, for being able to, to place papers uh, in good outlets. So... You know that the counterintuitive notion there might be well. You know, if I if I pick a field where I have uh, uh, an, an, an especially a proliferation of author names on the byline, how do you attribute? Um, you know who who uh, contributed to the writing the most, and so there, um, you know, longstanding norms in the life sciences on authorship help us uh, to attribute because generally speaking, um, in the life sciences, the the, the first author and the last author. Um, sort of, uh, you know, get credited the most uh, with with um, having having produced this 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 uh, piece of work. So the f the first author generally is 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 the junior author who's credited with um, having executed the research, whereas the last author, um, you know, gen generally funds the research uh, and and might often have conceived of it. And so so these two authors uh, help us here. Uh, to to give us a lens through which we can you know place greater emphasis on the contribution of certain authors and then and then look at the gender of these authors to to compare you know if the first author and the last author on a paper are both female how do these texts that these individuals write differ from other sex compositions or gender compositions 
uh, on on in these prestigious author positions. So it's a it's a rich, interesting data set then from your point of view as a, as an economist to uh, to actually look at this. The other thing about PubMed data is it captures people from around the world. And I think this is a problem that we've had uh, internally in the BMJ when we try and work out, you know, are we inviting women to do peer review as often as men? It's that it's hard when you haven't got the data about gender in front of you to um, to join a name to a gender, especially mm-hmm. when you've got people from, from all around the world. So... Um, to do that, you use the genderized database. And uh, how well does that do that? So ge- generally speaking, um, so the, the genderized database, which uh, is, is, is generally an advantage of, of these techniques for, for sort of automatically inferring gender based, based on forenames, gives you a probability with which uh, the, the genderized database sort of assigns uh, gender to a given forename. And so it helps you sort of establish a little bit of a of a, of a confidence level uh, into these gender designations. And so we uh, in, in in this research here, we basically said we are we are considering a gender determined if if we have sort of a ninety percent probability that the forename is 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 held by by a man versus by a woman. And so this this threshold allowed us to. Um, you know, designate uh, roughly 90% of the papers in our data set um, that came with uh, author forenames. Uh, we could assign with the, with the help of genderize the gender to these first and last authors. Um, and so ge- generally speaking, these, these, these techniques have become quite, uh, quite powerful. So given all that, you know, the, the messy data that you're working with, but also some of the, the advantages that that has, what was it you found when you crunched the data? Yeah, so um, we basically found that when 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 you look at titles and abstracts of these of these publications, and we um, I, I should add that we basically looked with two lenses on the data. So we looked, uh, you know, one lens was to say um, how how does uh, the presentation of research findings look in in clinical articles? So. Uh, you know, in your in in your journals like the BMJ, uh, the New England Journal, JAMA, um, and you know, might that differ uh, from how research is presented? That that might be overall be more in the realm of of basic science. Uh, so you know, journals indexed in the broader PubMed. So you might think of this as 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 uh, your family of nature journals. So we basically looked at these two sets. Um, and then looked at whether, you know, um, articles written by female first and last authors differ in using this set of 25 positive words uh, relative to articles, you know, written by first and last authors, where at least one of them is, is a male, is a male author. And so when when doing that, we found that, you know, we would get to sort of average percentage differences uh, uh, of sort of twenty, uh, of sort of uh, ten, ten percent. So, the an article uh, written by by a female first and last author would, on average, uh, sort of look like to use these words ten percent less often uh, than than uh, articles written by by first and last authors where at least one one man is involved. Now, but this average sort of 
um, masks a little bit uh, the fact that um, these gender differences are primarily pronounced in, in, if you will, the more influential journals. So the journals with an impact factor exceeding 10. So when you look, when you look at these categories, we find that uh, um, up to a 21% uh, difference in positive language use between these categories of, of lead authors. Um, and that was for us, um, as I alluded to at the beginning of our conversation, that, that was <clears throat> to us um, quite, quite striking. Um, to a certain degree, we conjectured that we might find a gender difference, but, we, but the location, uh, we didn't conjecture really. So we didn't, we didn't really think that this would be a phenomenon that's, 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 that's most pronounced um, in, in more influential journals. Mm. Now, all of this started on the conjecture that perhaps, you know, women's advancement in science and medicine was being hampered by the way in which they they talked about the good research that they've been doing. What do you think your results mean for for that? Right. So, you know, when when we when we saw these findings that there is this gender difference in language use, then we thought, so does that matter? Um you know, does it matter in, in terms of, you know, the attention the work receives in terms of, you know, how, how well the work is, is recognized for its quality? And in order, in order to, to get closer to answering this question, we thought of, you know, associating, um, you know, positive language use um, with, with downstream citations that articles receive. Because, uh, you know, we know in science, you know, pay, promotion, um, funding, all, all of these um, rooms for competition um, become increasingly sort of, you know, measure-based. You know, how, how many publications do you have? Uh, how many citations did these publications attract? And so <clears throat> I think many can feel the, the immediate consequence it might have if, you know, difference in language use can be associated to differences in, in downstream citations work might receive. And we do find that um, controlling for, for a host of, of other factors, that if an article you know, presents findings in the abstract or title positively, uh, that this is associated with up to 13% uh, more downstream citations. Um, and this was for us um, a little bit of, of of a moment of truth, if you will, on this paper, because we thought, you know, now it really now it really matters to to sort of communicate this finding to to you know help the scientific community think through uh, what differences in language use might mean and how one you know would would think about potential consequences. On that, because you found that positive language was actually more likely in a high-impact journal. Do you think that might have affected the, the citation potential of, of those papers in a way that would have changed that outcome? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it seems so. So if we, if we compare, um, you know, the effect of, of the language use on citations in higher-impact versus lower-impact journals, as a matter of fact, in clinical journals uh, that have an impact factor of, of less than 10, um, which is in our sample, if, if you will, sort of the, the minority of papers, because in, generally speaking, clinical research is, is, tends to be published in, in higher impact journals. So we, we looked in the clinical category, just to give a feel, we looked at uh, roughly 100,000 articles. And so these 100,000 articles sort of partition into 60% being published in you know, higher impact journals 
versus the remainder in, in journals with an, with an impact factor less than 10. And so in this, in this latter category of, of less than 10, we actually do not find um, a statistically significant association with downstream citations. We still find a trend. We still find sort of 3% um, <clears throat> higher downstream citations, but this effect doesn't distinguish from zero. And so it's hard to infer, you know, any tangible effect in this category. But in the, in the higher impact journals, there we find a, a very robust 13% increase um, and so even, even if one sort of considers, you know, sort of the, the statistical uncertainty around these 13%, like we don't get much lower than, uh, than, than the 13% point estimate. And so it's kind of it's interesting to see that we have, if you will, sort of a very connected effect, uh, which can be summed up as, okay, gender differences in language use seem to be most prevalent in the most influential journals. And in connection, when you use more positive language to frame the findings, you get the highest sort of impact on your downstream citations in a, in a positive way. You really boost, you know, the attention by a tangible effect that your research receives. So for women out there, the, the two takeaways might be um, do pick up your research because men are doing it and it seems to uh, to improve citations. And not to worry that uh, the big journals won't take your research because of that, because um, it seems like that language doesn't uh, uh, is very prevalent in in those high impact journals. You know, if I may, there there are there are several several questions that surface for the scientific community. Um, you know, on on what one should make of these findings. You know, one explanation uh, that that's plausible, and and you mentioned that. So you know, given that the findings sort of steer our attention to to the to the more influential journals because this is where, where where most of the impact appears to lie you know this this work cannot determine whether for example women uh during the during the peer review process that that you brought up earlier duncan uh, whether um you know women might be held you know to different standards during peer review you know do do editors reviewers you know unconsciously um you know, opine differently on women's writings relative to men's? And does that sort of then tangibly alter the end product that we are observing? Um, because we, yeah, we, yeah. So, so this is an important point, I think, to, uh, to be very clear about. Good point, and one for us to think about here at the BMJ. That research, Gender Differences in How Scientists Present the Importance of the Research, is now available on bmj.com and in the Christmas edition, which should be out today. Mark, thanks for taking some time to talk to us on the podcast about it. Thank you very much, Duncan, for having me. That's it for this episode, but we'll be back with more Christmas research, looking at spin in papers about spin and the driving habits of different specialties. I'll be out next week. You can find all of those on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So until then, enjoy the last week of your Christmas shopping. I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>